Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Templeton Elliott, and I'm joined this week by Patrick Ugongo and Jason from Frozen and Carbonite to talk about obstacles and not like your girlfriend or your job or whatever. Uh, but first, we've got co-founder of the College Skateboarding Education Foundation, Tommy Barker, on the line to talk about college skateboarding education and foundations, I guess. So, Tommy, the CSEF just opened up applications for scholarships. What's on offer from you guys? Well, first, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, yeah, thanks so much to, for being on. Yeah, I always stoked to talk CSEF. Geez, this is again, like we say this every year, but this is our biggest year ever. Last year, we gave out $50,000 and we already know we're going to eclipse that this year. I hope to hit the six figures, but our application season and fundraising season run concurrently. So I won't know the final figures till we actually uh, finish off our fundraising around June. We are super proud to have a bunch of partnership scholarships now. That's kind of what we call them. I call them pro model scholarships. We haven't exactly figured out a name for them, but partnership scholarships. But like, you know, the main one on offer is uh, photography scholarship with the Tiba. That's like as iconic as it gets. Like we did the first one last year and we're going to bring that back again this year. And then we also have a Zane Timpson scholarship for art students and a Ian Poodsbury Memorial scholarship for students in San Diego. And this year we're also adding a Austin specific scholarship with no comply that will go directly to students in Austin. So it's, it's growing every year. Last year, we gave out $50,000 to 21 students, and we're going to do even more this year. So it's exciting. It's all happening. So, Tommy, first of all, congratulations on all the work that you've done, not only as director of partnerships at Jenkins, but also with CSEF. Over the last year, a couple of years, I've noticed and, and seen you've shared via CSEF that y'all have received a lot of accolades and recognition from the L.A. City Council, as well as state and federal legislators. What is it like to share that kind of win with your friends and family, especially for folks who might not necessarily see skateboarding as a vehicle for education, employment, or self-betterment? And I'm excluding your parents in this discussion because um, they both were in skateboarding for, for many, many years. I get, I take it that they understand, but what about for folks who don't understand? That's actually funny. I mean, it's definitely different for all of us. This year, like Stephanie Levita, who just joined the board, this is her first year with us. And she's first generation college student. And like nothing like this has ever happened to her and her family or anything. It's like totally out of this world. They keep kind of coming at us fast. So it's hard to really process them. So my friends kind of like, they all kind of not roll their eyes, but you know, it's just kind of another thing at this point. But everyone's really proud on the family front. Like you said, like my parents worked and kind of worked in skateboarding, but they're also just kind of I definitely have successful parent syndrome where like even the week that we got all those ones from Congress and stuff like my mom got one from the county of San Diego. So it, it didn't land as hard as you would thought inside my family group decks. They all kind of just moved on to the next thing. But definitely for the rest of the board and for, you know, every time it gets it's pretty surreal. And then next year, all of the council members and congressional members that give them to us they want to do it in person which will make it even more surreal it's a very odd thing for me to process tommy jason here thanks for coming on the show first off how do your applicants usually find out about c stuff because i i doubt it's the kind of thing that your your school counselor will tell you like yeah by the way this, this scholarship is on offer blah blah blah, blah. Um, i mean a lot of it's just you know word of mouth social and everything and you know actually 
on the top of my to-do list is to try to get as many brands and people in the next few weeks to post about it as possible. So really like, you know, being on the Thrasher side every time, getting shout outs on Jankum, just being out there and getting shared definitely gets the word out about us. But then also like, you know, college is expensive. These kids are rugging it. Like they're searching us out and we're already on databases for scholarships and stuff like that. And so people are just coming out of the woodwork and finding us on their own just because, you know, they're, they're trying to survive and not, not graduate with too much student debt. So it's actually a harder question than we think. Oh, and also, you know, shout out Skate Like a Girl because they've helped the last few years get the word out. And it's almost like a running joke where you'll be reading this amazing application and then they'll say, found out from Skate Like a Girl. Every person who has Skate Like a Girl in their application is an amazing human. It just kind of works like that. So then question for you, Tommy, what is it like running a skate nonprofit? Now I'm on board. (laughs) I'm on the board for the Harold Hunter Foundation, but that's completely different than the day-to-day operational stuff that is done by our executive director. Shout out to Tiffany Lee, our new ED. And our outgoing interim ED, Barbara Heisler. So the ED and the staff do a lot of the day-to-day that you do with CSEF. So tell us, what is that like? Because skate nonprofits are relatively new and a skate education scholarship nonprofit is particularly new. Like you're you're breaking new ground here. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, yeah, that SDSU event, I remember Betsy Gordon from the Smithsonian asked us all, like, how do you avoid burnout? And I'm like, I am so far past burnout, just to the point where I say I would spend 75% of my time on Jankum and 75% of my time on CSEF. I don't really have a life outside of that. I uh, spend a lot of time, I call my office the dungeon. That's where I spend, you know, the majority of my time just working away. I share all the responsibilities with like Keegan Gazard, who's, you know, my other co-founder. The board really helps too, but we're still all volunteers. So we're actually kind of in that process of starting to really think about how we're going to bring on employees and start paying people and stuff like that. So it's really just, you know, keeping your focus on the thing right in front of you and taking it one day at a time and just kind of like getting through it and also giving yourself a break and realizing like there's a thousand things we want to do. There's the important things and there's what we can actually do. So it's kind of just like giving yourself a break at the end of the day. Luckily enough, our amazing board of directors and the people who like us kind of support us through it. This year's totally surreal. Like the last three months or so have been totally surreal with CSEF. Um, the first year or two, you know, like no one came to our first fundraiser. So we've definitely come pretty far from there. What got you started? Like, I think of scholarship funds as kind of like the realm of like rich old people. And <laughs> you're like, I'm guessing in your 30s or 40s, like relatively young to be running a scholarship foundation. Like, how did you guys start? Well, it, I call it the three bears story. And I'll start with my other two co-founders and then I'll get to mine. But uh, CSEF started because I got invited to be a guest speaker at Nefitali Williams' USC class on skateboarding and culture. Um, I was the executive director of IASC at that point, and I had to tell the kids about like what it meant to be a trade organization. So he invited Keegan, my other co-founder, to like kind of crash the class because Keegan was running a thing called Collegiate Skate Tour. And that was contest for college skate clubs that you would do them like in different zones around the country. And I had told Nefitali that in the back of my mind, I had an idea around scholarships. So like the reason I kind of got there, and again, I call it the three bears because Nefitali is a doctor. Keegan had the very normal college experience where he ran the skate club and I dropped out of high school. 
So I actually grew up like starting, I started working in skateboarding when I was 12, 13 years old for my parents' company called Clive. By the time I was 15, 16, I was like the regional team manager. I was working the trade shows. I was going to Europe to do trade shows over there. It was the early 2000s. The world was booming like it never had ever boomed before. And there is nothing, no one ever told me to pay attention to school or anything. So fast forward a few years when the recession hit, I was working at zero and like we all thought we were in there for life. And, you know, I thought for sure that I'd still be running mystery skateboards when I was like 45, 50 years old. But then suddenly this thing called the recession happened, pulled the rug out from all of us. And I kind of had to figure out like the real world for the first time in my life. Part of that was I was kind of like, in the middle of that, someone, I was at a bar and someone next to me told someone else, hey, while you're all this stuff's happening, maybe you should go back to school. And that was the first time in my entire life I had ever heard someone actually like talk positively about education. And so I actually started, I went back to school and my first night was a poli sci class and it was the night of Obama's inauguration. And I mean, like, again, I dropped out of high school. I like didn't see any need for it at the time. I was like, I'm over here working. What, what like, what is any of this kind of going to do for me? Not realizing that like skateboarding does actually interact with the outside world that had never occurred to me. So I went back to school and I loved it. It was like, I really took to it. I did all a cart the first year or so. And I like realized that I had all these blind spots in my life. And so I went for economics, history, kind of everything. Like I even took a class on criminal justice from a former like FBI head. It was all really interesting, but I definitely came out of after the recession disillusioned with the skateboard industry. And that kind of led me to thinking like, okay, like what can we do for the average skate kids? Everyone's so worried about helping the pros and like figuring out how this industry thing goes along. Like what about the average kids? Something I've always used to describe CSEF is like Andrew Reynolds and Tom Penny could have told me anything when I was 16 years old and I would have done it. What if they would have told me to go to college? That's kind of the ethos behind CSEF. So that was really like, me going back to school and also I got really interested in nonprofit work because again, like my dad was involved in a few and I just kind of looked around skateboarding. Skateboarding was like a bloodbath in 2008. Like people were struggling. People like didn't know what their future held or anything. And I was like, there's nothing to help any of this from the top level of, you know, even getting places for us to skate to even just caring about the average skateboarder. So I did a program at UCSD Extension on fundraising development and nonprofit business management. And my final project was a business plan for scholarships for skateboarders. And that sat and collected dust for like five years until that meeting at USC. So it was all kind of like came together. Did you get a good grade on that business plan? Yeah, I, I got straight. I never got anything other than an A after I went back to school. Like, I, I don't know. It was community college and then like the extension program. I never actually went to like a technical four year or anything. There was a brief period where I was going to transfer to a Cal State school and then I wanted to go to law school. And that's when IAS found me and a few industry guys basically cornered me and gave me the, you can learn in a classroom or you can learn in the real world. Wouldn't you rather learn in the real world speech? And these are all guys that I'd looked up to industry guys since I was a young kid. And I was like, oh, I'll do whatever you guys tell me. So I, <laughs> I went and did that rather than go to law school. Tommy, thank you for sharing your education journey. And I really appreciate you going in depth and talking about 
working in the skateboard industry from a young age and then hitting that wall of the 2008 recession. We've talked to a couple of people on this show and then certainly within our lives who've shared their experiences when basically it was like a light switch went off, like a lot of companies suffered and it wasn't just in skateboarding, it was across industries and it was a slow burn too, starting at the end of 2007 when we officially went into recession. But my follow-up question for you is, why should skateboarders go to university? Say for me, for example, there was no option. You know, my parents are very, very strict on education and it wasn't going to be subject to debate. I'm also not that good of a skateboarder. So it's not like I was ever going to have a chance making it in the industry, at least as a sponsored skater. So why should skaters go to college? Why should skaters do something other than quit everything and focus 110% on skating? I mean, I kind of have to argue with the premise of the question because I also think that the people who actually care about getting sponsored and entering contests and living the lifestyle you're describing, like that's less than 2% of everyone who skates. It's a really small minority. Most skateboarders are just normal people who would never even think that that's even an option. So it's really like, you know, CSEF, we're kind of, we're, we're telling those kids to go to school and we're doing that, but like so many skateboarders are already already doing that in a necessity. I think, you know, you know, the Mandela quote where education is, you know, the key to almost every problem. I'm definitely a big believer in that. So I, my message to skateboarders is like, well, you're going to have to learn how to make money someday. You can go and chase your dreams at school and find uh, what you're really passionate about and take it to the furthest degree. Because normal, that's something you also get from skateboarding is just wanting to take it as far as you can. So I think just, you know, general surviving in this world it's a really good idea to go to school and then just as skateboarders you have a unique mindset that you're that it gives you kind of an advantage if you've learned how to kickflip you've done something a million times you know that translates to science disciplines anything history english literature anything like that so so uh, tommy what are some of y'all's major look fors as they say with the applicants i'm definitely you know i'm the skater like the skater skater where i just like passionate about skateboarding is definitely a requirement for me. But what we truly look for, for one, is good grades. Two, it's financial need. Three, it's a pathway. Like, have you, do you have a goal in mind and are you working, have you worked, done steps to get there? You know, have you, if you're going to say you're a doctor, have you done pre-med classes or are you a freshman that just said eight things, you know? So definitely have a plan and also kind of being out to change the world. Like we, we love finding these kids and there's so many of them that have a plan for their education that's to make the world better and not just kind of like cashing in on it. Those kids also kind of rise to the top. And then of course, like passion for skateboarding, like some of my favorite applications, like one kid, like we're like, I forget how even it came up, but he's just like, I just want you guys to know I have a mean nollie and heel flip. And I was like, that is so sick that you just said that in a scholarship application. So the eight of us on the board, read it, everyone, or read the applications. Everyone comes to it with a different lens. But then once we put our grades together and our heads together on like who are the cream of the crop, like we're, I'm totally proud with, you know, every single class of CSEF recipients and like who they are and what they've, you know, what they are doing or what they have done. Speaking of that board, you've got a pretty heavy hitting list of people, you know, like got yourself, Neftali Williams, Ryan Lay, Justin Regan, Walker Ryan, a few more people. Like how did, how did you come to that group of people? 
how's your board? It's actually happened super naturally. When we first started, just Keegan was good friends with Walker and Ryan Lay, and they were just, you know, educated, smart skateboarders who were down for what we were doing. So we leaned on them to kind of like promote us and everything. Like I said, with Neff, like I had done his class, it just seemed natural. It was literally like, I don't know, maybe 12 months into us starting, he went and did his program in New Zealand. So he he disappeared pretty quickly. And then he, it, you know, he was becoming a doctor. So he had his own workload. And Justin, I knew through C or through IASC and just being in the skateboard industry. And he was passionate about it. And he was already giving us kind of tips. And, you know, I'm always looking for doers. And when someone offers to do something for me, I'm like, you should join the board. Like, board call once a month, do a few things, and uh, you can be part of this too. So it's been a really natural process. We're always looking for new people. Our newest addition to the board, Stephanie Levita, she actually, I call it a nonprofit bingo. She was one of our first recipients. She's from Boston. And then after we gave her their scholarship, I think it was Keegan, but he linked her up with Nike and she got a uh, internship with Nike. And now like she fully still works in the marketing department at Nike and is like doing the damn thing. But then now she's become a board member for us. So we kind of have, it's totally come full circle. And I love that. I think we, I hope we have more of those. Yeah, it's a great success story that you can point to just like within your own organization. Yeah, exactly. And like, I think every, you know, a lot of skateboarders dreams is to like work at Nike SB and do it. So it's fun to have a hand in it and watch where, you know, she's been able to take it. So Tommy, you've had a pretty, amazing career for somebody of your age and you've worked in a lot of different disciplines within skateboarding and more specifically within the skateboard industry to our listeners out there who are thinking about working in skateboarding what do they need to do what kind of toolkit do they need to have to find white collar work in skateboarding i mean i think it just depends on what like what you want to do if you want to work on the marketing or team side of stuff, it's all kind of relationship based. You know, you really have to be there in the places that stuff's being done. You know, New York, San Diego, L.A., where I'm based out of San Francisco. Like definitely you actually have to be there or in Europe. But, you know, what people don't realize is like there's so many jobs around skateboarding that aren't on the marketing side that you can just get, you know, from I've worked with accountants to, you know, even like I grew up in a warehouse. So like, you know, warehouse work, logistics, it, it's really like, you know, if you want to do one of those disciplines, like you could go get your education in it and then go and work uh, at a skateboard company for a few years to say you did it and then actually go make real money somewhere else. There's also, you know, the, the corporations inside skateboarding too. So with those, like, I'm also a big believer in, you know, starting on the bottom and working your way up, whether it's, you know, starting at a skate shop. I know that's probably one of the best vehicles to get into the industry is you start at the skate shop, you make good with the rep, you have a passion for some component of working in skateboarding, and you kind of start building your network and your footholds and get yourself in the door. And then as soon as that door is cracked a little, you run through it as fast and as hard as you can. It's also... Yeah, skateboarding is a labor of love, definitely. About every five years, the skateboard industry kills me and I have a mental breakdown a little. But every time I've almost left the skateboard industry, the skateboard industry has like, brought me back in. So I think you, you got to love it, that's for sure. I guess that's, what, that's the political way I'll say it. Yeah, so where are you in that cycle now? Do you feel like you are on the verge of burnout? Do you feel good? And then follow up to that, 
is that cycle tied to the fortunes of the industry? Do you feel like you internalize a lot of the ups and downs of skateboarding and the economy? Yeah, totally. But I mean, where I'm at now, this was honestly one of the best weeks of my life. I can't really go into why, but all of these really amazing things are happening and I'm like over the moon right now. So I definitely was burnt out all all of fall. It really hit me. And yeah, it's, you know, right now this is the most, you know, everyone looks at skateboarding right now and it's like the most confusing, chaotic time that the industry's had in a while. There's so many brands, so many people were bigger than ever, but, you know, brands are struggling. Um, it's just a really confusing time. So I would say like personally right now, I'm like post burnout, back, have my spark again, love everything about skateboarding. But it's definitely tied economically too. brands come up and they they get big and then, you know, it's for no fault or their own. Something will happen and then they'll kind of disappear. So it's a it's an ever revolving cycle. So um, as we wrap up, like how how can people get involved? You know, if if they're not applying for college right now, what what can people do to help? Definitely tell the uh, tell the college students or kids, you know, anyone who's about to go to college in college, grad school, just tell them about us. That's really like that's the easiest way to help us. We're, you know, obviously give us a donation if you really feel passionate about us. All the money that's donated to us right now, like we have really low overhead. We're all volunteer and that money goes straight to help kids afford college. And like to add on to that, we have we get 300 to 400 applications a year. I would say 50, you know, 50 or creme de la creme, 100, I would 100% fund without a doubt. So there, like if someone gave me a couple hundred grand today, I could spend it tomorrow on these kids and like it would just go pass through. That's kind of like a rare thing in nonprofits where, you know, most of the time if you're getting any sort of large donation or anything. Uh, you have to build up your everything around it too, where me, I have this giant need where I'm just like reading applications of kids that I can't give scholarships and it's heartbreaking. If you donate to us, like we have hundreds of kids or 50 to 100 kids every year that definitely need it that we can't give scholarships to right now. So those are the two main ways, donate, um, spread the word. And if you're really passionate about us, like slide into our DMs, maybe you can become a board member or something. And we're probably going to be taking on um, a couple of interns here in the coming year, just because as we transition to paid staff, we're going to need some help. Very cool. And then then to wrap it up for the college college or college bound skaters out there, how did, how did they apply? Collegeskateboarding.com, hit the apply button. Uh, we just opened applications a week ago. They'll run through June. It's probably a little bit more fun than the normal scholarship application. We ask you who your favorite skater is. We ask you a few different questions about skateboarding, your life plan. It's not too intrusive, but it'll definitely make you think. So go and hit the site and check us out and fill out the application. There you go. If you mention mostly skateboarding in your application, you'll be 10% more likely to get, get funding. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Every year we take it a little bit, like not more seriously, but like we've had friends apply. In the last two years, we've taken all the names off the applications. We take all the social media off the applications. So we, if you drop something like mostly skateboarding, that can definitely help you get ahead right there. Have a connection with us. There you go. Quarter Snacks and Tenant Skate Shop just held a design competition for a new obstacle at Blue Park. This got our gears turning about dream skate obstacles, assuming you've got the basics, a straight fucking ledge, a curb, a hip, flat bar, and a quarter pipe. What kind of wild creations would you want to see at your local park, Patrick? I don't think this is anything wild or really that out there, but a dugout or some kind of proper seating area that's shaded because everybody knows that you go to a skate park, you always find somebody 
They could be a skater. They could be a little kid, somebody's parent, somebody passing through the park. They decide to just sit on a ledge or some sort of obstacle, and it's beyond annoying. But I think if there was a designated place to sit and shoot the shit and eat your food and chill and it had a trash can next to it, I think that would be really great. And it would really encourage the thing that we love the most about skateboarding, which is loitering, just hanging out. Tommy, you're designing a park. You need something that's really special to you. What do you want? It's funny because I've also, I've kind of lived this because I did all the advocacy for Poods Park in Encinitas, which was like, you know, the the park of our dreams. And I was the one kind of leading the meetings and everything. And I was trying to be like the community bridge builder. And really, I wish I would have just gone back and told them that I wanted like a grindable bank ledge that I could pivot fakie. Like everything there is ledges. There's one quarter pipe and then there's this like giant bowl. There's no like middle ground, small transition kind of thing where you can just like pivot fakie with your eyes closed. Like that kind of obstacle is like, I I still kick myself for not in any of those meetings, like speaking up and just trying to get like one thing that I really like to skate and like my weak spot is definitely ledges. So like the first few years of food spark, like that's why I do a lot of ride on grinds and stuff. Cause it was like, uh, I, I did not like get the park built in my image in the least or anything. So I would just say, you know, a grindable bank that you can pivot fakie is like, you know, give me that all day long. You're such a selfless dude. Like when, when I've had the opportunity to, you know, give input on skate parks and stuff, I'm just like, this is what I want. Like fuck everybody else. Or like my, my opinions are, good so everybody else will probably like this too (laughs) that was like i mean poods is like really the first plaza in southern california so like like and canton russell designed it like the plaza aspect had left the station already like people had decided on that so it it wasn't like you know and and to me i call it like you know it's you know top five most famous skate parks in the world like uh, i'm definitely not complaining tommy the uh the ledges of Poods, they're granite or something like that, right? Like, they're not coated. They have, like, like metal, like, in that. Like, it's, like, metal and then, like, cement poured into them. And, but there's right. also, like, four different types of ledges there. So there are just, like, straight, like, cement ledges. And then most of them are that little metal thing. They were, like, you know, it can grind forever. forever. It's hilarious. Like, I mean, I haven't been in a couple months, but, like, Poods still looks brand new. So Canton did a great job, like, how he designed that. And like, like a quarter of Poods Park is ADA compliant. So we're able to like hack the system to get like a 30% bigger skate park by it. There you go. Yeah. Ken, Ken Russell also designed the park pretty near me in Charlottesville, Virginia, which in my opinion is the best one in the whole Commonwealth of Virginia. So that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty tight. As far as my dream obstacle, just, you know, I'm, I'm a ledge type of guy, just straight fucking ledge, but just granite like that new plaza in Montreal. Because coping, I don't know, something with no slides or any type of slide trick. Is that the one that is it, yeah, it doesn't hit right? Is it the one that Charles Deschamps, like there's that whole crew that hangs out at Peace Park in Montreal? They helped on that. Like it, I think it just opened last summer. Sounds about right. Yeah, I think it did just open last summer. It's like by some bridge or like some train trestle or something. Yeah, yeah. Tommy, you know, you you scratched upon something interesting here. What advice do you have for skaters who are engaging with city councils, county executive offices and trying to get a skate park built? Because, you know, we're all grown folks here. And so naturally, we're going to carry ourselves a little bit differently. We know how to correspond with other adults. But for a lot of skaters, the first time that we start engaging with the mechanics of local or county government is when we're teenagers 
asking for a skate park. And many of us have not learned the language, the finesse, even how to dress for these kinds of occasions. What, what, what's, what's been your experience and what kind of knowledge can you drop for kids on how to do this? Yeah. Wow. That's right. My wheelhouse. So first off, advocacy is a bunch of really easy steps over a really long period of time. Showing up is like 95% of the battle. If you show up at a city council meeting with kids, those city, like every person on that city council is going to do whatever they can to not offend the kids in the front row. And I was actually thinking about this the other day, like there was multiple meetings where people gave speeches and then like there was one final meeting where I gave this like a longer speech about like why Ince needs need a skate park. But in the previous meetings, there's this kid, like friend of mine, he's not a kid anymore, but Miles Wood, he used to be the TM for DGK. This is like, he's like stereotypical, like, you know, wears four extra large t-shirts. He came to a meeting, sweaty from skate skating, skated to the meeting, put a speaker slip in, randomly got called right away, went straight up there. And like the passion he had for the city and how much he wanted it was the best like vehicle. Like, I guess I would say the opposite, like be yourself. Like you don't have to dress up, like go as yourself. Like he was like that speech that he gave, like set the tone for everything else because, you know, we were like, you know, one of our messages was like, you know, skateboarding or Encinitas was famous for all these things. It was most famous for skateboarding. Like Encinitas is skateboarding Hollywood. We have like Tony Hawk, we have Mike Burnett, we have Grant Britton, Jamie Thomas, like half the industry's there. Like, but we didn't have a skate park that represented that. And this sweaty ass kid off the street gave this like just a impassioned off the cuff speech. And that was like the best thing you could have done. So there's like, there's definitely a balance to it. Like, you know, I went with at least a collared shirt or something and would like speak on a little bit more broad levels, but like, just go and be yourself. Don't be afraid to get involved or like think they're judging you in any way. Like you have just as much agency to make your community better as they do. And you have a great idea that's been proven in thousands of cities across the world. So just go in there, be yourself and kind of just explain to them why you love skateboarding and why this will make like a better thing in your backyard. Dang, that's hard body. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> that's 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 the kind of thing that I think a lot of folks need to hear. So for those of you who've listened for a long time, y'all know that my wife is an urban planner. So her bread and butter is spending time at public comment and community meetings. And Skate parks are really tough, too, because as I've learned from her and from other folks who are in planning and public space uses that in an ideal world, skate parks would be integrated into neighborhoods and wouldn't be way the fuck out there in the middle of nowhere, far from shops, far from public transit and with no shade. Uh, Tommy, do you have any suggestions? I mean, based off of your your history of engagement of how we can get some more of these places integrated into city centers so that they're not all the way out there. Because for example, you can find a basketball court, a tennis court that is relatively accessible, but for some reason, skate parks are under the bridge or way, 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 way out there in a far flung suburb or you know next to a freeway. Yeah, so I consider like my grad school, I worked for the Tony Hawk Foundation for like 11 months or something, but my desk was right next to Peter Whitley and Mickey Vukovic's. And to me, they're the Obi-Wan and Yoda of the skateboard advocacy movement. Like Peter is hands down like the smartest person I've ever been next to. And I would be over there like, you know, I was like the fundraising person. So I'd be over there on my, but I just listened to his calls all day. And like, this was, you know, like 
2015, 2013, somewhere in there. And like, I don't know, like I wasn't as good as Google Maps. And he'd be on advocacy calls, Google mapping and be like, yeah, you're putting them next to the sewage treatment plant. Every call, he would bring up the Google map and just call people out on it all day long. So there's like, you know, there's the, you know, calling it out portion of it. But then, you know, to your point, you know, actually integrating skateboarding in like as a dual use, like project like that into something that's already built. Like that's just so difficult because you have to like be engaged on such an early level. Like you need to be reading like your local paper on like the boring stuff that is just like probably AI written these days about like planning projects for something like that's probably right now would be like, would say like 2035 or something. There's a lot of like selflessness to it because you know, like a lot of these projects take so long that you're never going to like, you're not going to get to feel like my good ankle did not get to actually skate Poods Park. I broke my ankle and like it, it was done before it was actually built. So there is part of a selflessness to it too. So I would say like getting into it like at very early on. I've snapped on some guys in the skateboard industry who are older and kind of they're like, we're retiring. This is your problem now. And I'm like, no, fuck you guys. Like your job now is to go to these meetings and like be the like people who actually like the old people in the room screaming about skate parks. Like we need all of this generation that's like 40 to 70 right now. Like those guys need to get their head out of their asses and actually start like getting engaged in their local community to help skateboarders. I think there's part of it is just, you know, you're not going to be able to enjoy it. It's not your cup of tea. You wanted a bowl and these kids want ledges. So you're going to disengage where I'm like, dude, it should be the opposite. Like everyone who once you like can't kickflip anymore, like, that should just be your like second job is just going and like advocating for skateboarding where kids wouldn't know to talk to him, talk to him. What is, <laughs> what is the worst obstacle that you've seen in working for a skate park project, formerly Tony Hawk foundation? Like what's the worst obstacle that either people have advocated for or that you've actually seen building it just like, Jesus, no one's going to skate this or nobody's going to be able to hit this. Well, like kind of answer your question, like a lot in the meetings of Poods Park, all these old guys would show up and they're like, we want another bowl. And we're like, hey, there's fucking 10 bowls like in the, in North County. You have like different options. Like there's three different ones at the YMCA. Like, why do you need another bowl? And I remember there was a moment in one of the one of the meetings where I was like, oh, maybe we could do like Chicken's Pool, like the one Penny skates, because I'm a crazy Penny fan. I was like, you know, where it's kind of mellow at the shallow end and then like goes a little deeper and like some old guy in the back is like, you ever skated Chicken's Pool? Place sucks. Like, and it was just like, <laughs> like so funny to me that like this guy got like super upset, like even, you know, not to call him out, but I, I will. You know, our main skate shop in Encinitas is uh, McGill's Skate Shop, owned by Mike McGill. He's never thanked me for helping get Poods Park built. The only thing he's ever said to me is he complained about the bowl. So <laughs> that's like, yeah. So wow. outside of just like bad designs, like I grew up at bad designs. So also like, like old Carlsbad Park where I grew up skating, like it is shit and I love it. So it's kind of like one of those things where you know, I, 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 I like a bad, poorly designed skate park, you know? I mean, there's a, there's a difference between, like, poor design. Like, there's I've skated some really terrible skate parks that are almost, like, they're, like, a fun challenge because they're so fucked up. But then there's just, like, the big-ass park that's just, like, sucks for some reason. Like, like to me, Williams Farm in Virginia Beach is, like, it's like a Team Payne park. But to oh, me, there's just, there. like... There's like not one thing there that I want to skate. So I, I think that there's a lot of things that people want that it's like 
you know, a lot of kids wanted a, a full pipe in some skate park thing that I went to. And it's just like, dude, you, that's a lot of money. <laughs> and it's like, you know, well, well, you can't even ride on most of it. How are you well, I mean, 40 and asking for a full pipe? <laughs> yeah. You don't have dreams to do the loop? Come on. I mean, this is, I mean, we mentioned this on this program time and again. It's like with the skate parks, they could make like just like a bunch of flat with some ledges and a bank and a quarter cut. But to like justify the money they have allocated, they end up building some like X Games course that like some type of flow bowl that only two people can skate at the same time with like no flat. I don't think that's true. Like if you're like yeah, no yeah. city guy's gonna want to spend more money than like they actually have to. I think it's more just communication and like the you know a lot of cities just look what the city next to them did and want to do that. Like yeah. after we made after we made Poods Park, Carlsbad opened like similar skate park like within a year of it and stuff too. So like yeah, I, I do think it's funny in North County lore of San Diego. You know Frank Harada, who designed a lot of the early ninety or mid nineties, late to, or early two thousands, just like crazy looking skate parks. Like there are kids you say that name to them, or not kids, but adults now, but like just despise. And like Canton's the exact opposite. Like everyone loves Canton's parks. Wait, 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 wait. So I I remember oh, yeah. reading about this in an old uh, maybe it was actually a Chrome Ball incident interview with Frank. So he was designing. So is he responsible for these kind of weird? prefab parks like think about here in la they weren't they, they weren't prefabs they're like this weird i mean like old carlsbad like carl's it's still there it's like old carlsbad park is like perfect example of it there was one in vista i mean to his point too like maybe it wasn't his fault and like you know we were just young and dumb and everyone blamed him like i definitely think that probably happened but they definitely got typecast as frank Carrada parks yikes because i know there's that park yeah. in ventura called avenue skate park which is so bad, it's actually kind of good. And so it's starting to pop up in a bunch of edits from kids from the San Fernando Valley and then obviously visiting pros and skaters who are up in, in Ventura County. That's the one with like the like the tall like wall ride thing. Like yeah, it's, 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 that's it's not actually, a Frank Rada Park. That's like a 70s, 80s, like very early days of skateboarding park. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I did not realize that. But I remember going there. I was on a road trip with my wife and he was like, can we stop at this park? And I was like, I grew up on the East Coast, so up until very recently, there were a lot of really, really, really bad parks. And one thing I've noticed is that we started to see, like, I got to skate Blue Park last summer. That, to me, is a great skate park. How do we, what kind of language, what kind of involvement do you got to have to be able to advocate for low-impact chill parks? I mean, you know, you think about Perry Park in Phoenix or Mitchell Park in Tempe. Like those to me are the ideal. There's something for everybody at those parks and the way that they're laid out, it's not crammed either. And they have a very, they have a, a portable footprint. You could see them in almost any place. I honestly, it's like, a, it's something that I think about a lot, especially like after that Huntington one got built and just like how expensive skate parks are that I, I think those are the future. And then I think it's also kind of how you package them. There used to be a thing in the skate park development guide. It was called, geez, what was it called? But basically, like, it's a math equation to figure out how much skatable space you need in a given city with a given population. And then the whole thing was like, you know, if it says you need 15,000 square feet of skate park, that doesn't mean like you need a 15,000 foot skate park. That means you probably need like three 5,000 foot skate parks and stuff too. So it's also just kind of like giving advocates the language to like advocate for stuff like that. 
and maybe there is a little of like city council members wanting to like something fancy to put their name on to show their voters or something. But I, I think like if you show those being popular and having, you know, more, I forget what the actual term for usage is, but like, you know, if you can prove that that's like uh, being used more than a, a park that's, you know, way bigger built, then uh, then that would probably be the avenue of trying to advocate for something like that. Well put. Again, I, I that was my grad school being next to Peter Whitley. I'm like. I rarely get to do the advocacy things these days on like skate parks. And then I'm just like, oh, wow, like I forget this is all in here. So, so another question I have then is what's the what kind of timeline are we looking at here from advocacy and ideation to ribbon cutting? I went to my first meeting about Poods Park when I was 15 and it opened when I was 29. Wow. I've been involved <laughs> with projects that weren't quite so drawn out. I feel like sometimes... It, it'll be like a team effort. You know, somebody's advocated for it 10 years ago and totally. they're finally getting to it. And then somebody else picks up the picks up the torch and can actually have some input on design or whatever. You know, yeah, that, I that, think that was the case for, for some of the things that I've been involved with. Yeah, that's like how I was saying, like, just even like, you know, the hardest part is like knowing what's going on and like knowing those developments are coming or something like that. So, yeah, that's like, you know. No one likes reading. Like we had the Coast News in Encinitas. It was like the local paper. I don't even know if they have local papers anymore. But like, you know, it's not the most fun thing to read. But like reading about those projects and then like going to a meeting and, you know, even just going and introducing yourself to the director of recreation in any city like that'll always like, you know, they'll know what's coming and like what's possible. So stuff like that. By projects, you mean like they're building a new park in like such and such county or such and such region of the county, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, Poods Park is a part of the Encinitas Community Park. It was, you know, it was 15, 20 years in the making. Like that property used to be like greenhouses that then were decrepit. And then there was like some abandoned buildings on it where all this bad shit happened, like a bad shit happened to a skateboarder. That's like that kind of just like sparked the interest of like a skate park being there. But it was, you know, it's, you know, that's a $30 million park that the skate park was like a million dollars of it. So. So question Tommy then speaking of these lengthy timelines and delays, have you ever stumbled upon any kind of unsavory elements in working towards getting a skate park built? You know, people who've attempted to bribe people who've tried to, you know, strong arm you or the city into you got to use our concrete supplier, that kind of thing. Never happened to me, but that's like you can Google it. Like all the skate park companies got rolled for bid rigging like 10 years ago or something. You know, there's there's way more demand for skate parks getting built right now than skate park builders. So there, it's definitely like I'm not going to like typecast everyone, but I, like they definitely got rolled doing that where it was like they were divvying up projects between each other. Like you could, you know, I think it's Google Scholar or something. You can find that court case and read about it. But I don't know, nothing like nothing too unsavory happened in like my, you know, the most unsavory thing, like coming from the Tony Hawk Foundation experience was just the module parks where like someone like they would go into a town, like put up their skate, their little module park in a parking lot have a picnic where a bunch of kids came and skated and like they got all hyped up and then we're like thirty thousand dollars we'll leave this in that basketball court or something and that's like there there's a great example of that actually on the drive to phoenix from san diego that we went to last time i forget the name of town but it's just like this plastic module skate park they even had a plastic jersey barrier which is 
hilarious. Like, but yeah, that's like that's about as unsavory as it'll get. It's just those those module people coming to the town like they're the carnival or something, and then leaving it behind. And you know, it's it's rotten and shit in like two years. Yeah, I was gonna say that's like the the monorail salesman from The Simpsons. I'm yeah, like, I was I was thinking a little bit more a Tony Soprano type in skateboarding. I'm, I'm just you know, there's a part of me that has just this like, fantasy, like strong arm someone into like giving such and such concrete company. The exactly. From now on, we're pouring the concrete for this park. Maybe uh, in what's that? What's that county in northern New Jersey? Bergen. Right? Yeah, maybe in Bergen County. Hey, anywhere with the nine seven three area code. Well, I'd, I'd be stoked if somebody could strong arm these designers into putting more straight fucking ledges into the skate parks of the future. Which brings us to the end of our show, where we talk about what we're stoked on. Thomas, are you familiar with this part of our show? I read up on it, yeah. All right. What are you stoked on this week? I've had a very busy week, and like I said, it was the best week of my life, but I'm going to throw a curveball, and I'm going to shout out with my friends. Uh, one of my friends run a brand, runs a brand called Lucy Loves You. They're belts. His name's Jordan Taylor, writes for Weekend and New Balance and stuff. But they make like the most hilarious skits possible for like ads. Like that was one of my predictions for the year was like he's part of the Weekend crew that all should work for Saturday Night Live. They just came out with another one and it's like them and my friend's mom doing a skit and like it made my day. So like go look at Lucy Loves You and watch all their skits and buy a belt if you're inclined and then you can look at their older stuff called shorts over pants and like they're just hilarious skateboarders doing skits that's what i'm stoked on all right jason what are you stoked on this week stoked on venture trucks out of san francisco california stoked on a little video out of toronto called juice bunch of newer generation toronto rippers and that plus uh, the legend himself morgan smith that was a good one. Oh hell yeah and y'all know me i'll watch any music documentary out i watched the new one about run dmc on peacock that was awesome if you're in that sort of thing and for all the gen xers out there i watched the we are the world documentary on netflix that was pretty mind-blowing too patrick what are you stoked on this week uh, i'm very stoked on spitfire wheels i'm also stoked on stop making sense by jonathan demi and talking heads shout out to the homie tasso for the hookup saw that at the academy awards theater last night and it was mind-blowing i hadn't seen that concert film in many 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 years so seeing it remastered print uh, remastered audio was just fantastic i had a wonderful time and i was in desperate need of some uncut joy also was very stoked on arsenal beating liverpool last week and i screamed at the top of my lungs in my house all by myself which is great static six gonna do a deep dive watch tonight and finally uh, the new cater adidas sambas that are about to drop this weekend i think i might have to cop a pair templeton what are you stoked on this week those sambas do look real sick if anybody from adidas is listening <laughs> got my address but what i'm stoked on is a computer program called figma it's kind of like adobe illustrator like a design program they use it a lot at work so i'm trying to dive in and learn it so it's it's kind of fun learning a new program and hopefully that'll help with some future mostly skateboarding design stuff Oh, I didn't know we were allowed to be stoked on non-skateboarding stuff. When Patrick said the Arsenal game, I, I, I successfully recorded a soccer game yesterday, didn't have it ruined, and enjoyed it after a day of work. And Chelsea won. That's my team. So I, I, that was that very rarely happens these days, and it actually worked out. So yeah, it's impressive that you could not have it ruined. For that it was long. difficult. I had to mute, like, not look at my text. It, yeah, I have to go fully digital blackout. Well, congratulations. 
That's it for our show this week. Be sure to check out mostescapeboarding.net for links to things that we talked about and other show notes. Until next time, you can keep up with us all week online. Tommy, where can the people find you? What is my Instagram these days? Uh, I think my Instagram is Tommy underscore Barker. And then, yeah, on skate Twitter too, just Thomas Barker. Uh, Patrick, where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter under the handle at Colonel K Speaks. You can also find me on Instagram at Pkigongo, which I think is the same for threads as well as Blue Sky. Actually, no, Blue Sky, I think I legit have Kigongo, which is tight. And then you can also find me doing stuff with the Harold Hunter Foundation. Jason, where can the people find you on the internet? Twitter at Carbonite1994, Instagram, Frozen Carbonite, and writing stuff for quartersnext.com. New stuff dropping real soon. Tumblr, where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Mostly Skate and on Instagram at Mostly Skateboarding. We will see you guys next week. Thank you, guys. Yes, Thank sir. You. That was great. <laughs> Buy a Walk through closet doors and roam all over Coliseum floors. I step on stage at Live Aid. All the people gave and the poor got paid. And I'm a speaker. I did speak. I wore my sneakers, but I'm not a sneak. My Adidas hurt the sand of a foreign land with my kid. I told to command. My Adidas and be close as can be. We make a mean team, my Adidas and me. We get around together. Now we chillin' Cali And I won't trip my beat up on the beat I'm back